0: What should a Christian think what about does God abortion think about and the abortion? whole Roe v. Wade thing? Should I see a counselor? Uh, is and if I do, what are they going to tell health? me anyway? Are we mm-hmm. living in the end, the end times? What is deconstruction? Does God, does God care, care if who I, I vote, vote for? Should a Christian be in politics, politics with a healthy manner? Is it dumb to believe in God? Does God care about the environment that important? What does the Bible say about? Is it okay to be gay? LGBTQ. LGBTQ. Where do dinosaurs, dinosaurs fit in all this? How do I know no if I'm good, good enough? enough? Why do bad things happen to good people? Is it okay for a Christian to smoke weed? what is God's will for my life? How own? do I know what God is calling me to do? What am I doing here? Why are women treated so poorly in the Bible? Why do all of the things happen all at the same time? I've heard some of some Christians who walking God. away from God. What does it mean for heaven Do angels God? exist? Yes. Why do Christians so just get baptized? Do dogs do 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 go to Why is heaven? It Why do we have a bell about Christ? If I do the Bible I get help you asked for it hey everybody It's good to see you. does anybody get a little minor headache after that little bumper it's like ah there's a lot there hey welcome uh, if you're new here uh, we really are glad you've joined us my name is Ben I'm one of the pastors and we're in a series that is really important it's called you asked for it because we all have questions right and what we need is a place to go where we can really dive in and get some answers that we think are reliable, true, and guided by God. And that's what we're trying to do in this thing. And, uh, you know, in fact, the Bible itself reminds us, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, what should you do? You should ask God. Like, take your questions not just to Google but to God and, and ask ourselves as we look at some big questions like, How does Jesus want to shape my thinking in this area? That's kind of what we're trying to do here. And so today, we're talking about an important subject. We're talking about the fact that there are today a whole lot of people who are rethinking what they've always assumed was true about maybe the Christianity they grew up with, or an understanding of the Bible that they assumed was true, or what it really means to be a a follower of Jesus. They're voicing some doubts about some of the old ways, and some say this is a good and life-giving thing as we strip away extraneous stuff that doesn't belong there anyway. And others say it's a dangerous and destructive thing that's eroding the Christian faith. In the late 1990s, there was a guy named Josh Harris who kind of burst on the scene. He wrote a book called Kiss Dating Goodbye. It sold millions of copies and he became kind of overnight this sort of Christian celebrity, if you will, and then he became the pastor of this large church or a young guy, and he was all going great He, he until it didn't. He, he was associated with this movement, this group of churches, and there were some accusations of impropriety and misconduct and abuse made, and then a cover-up that was later exposed, and it involved people that were very close to him, and it really rattled him, and it caused him to kind of question some things, and the word that he used to describe what he was going through at that time was deconstruction. In in, in 2015, he left the ministry, and in 2019, he announced that he no longer identified as a Christian, and that he and his wife were divorcing, and it was problems in church world that led to that kind of, what he said was a questioning of things he had built his whole life on and that deconstruction kind of story in his life has been repeated many times, actually. Even recently, some high-profile people, where many are rejecting Christianity entirely. I can no longer believe in God except the church, and the word used there is deconstruction. I'm talking to another guy um, who just has lots of questions. his questions are mostly about the church that he grew up in and the more distance he gets from it, the things that he always assumed were true and normal and part of Christianity itself, he's beginning to realize, wait a second. He's wondering if some of the things there were not even really healthy or true or, or good because they had rules about everything and he's discovering those rules aren't even in the Bible. And, and, and all these things that were associated with Christianity, he's kind of come full circle where he's stripped away some of the stuff that he was taught, but he's held on to historic, orthodox, legit Christianity, and he has today a real vibrant and glowing faith in the Lord Jesus as a result of that process, and where he is today is a deeper, truer version of Christianity. And the process he uses to describe that, you guessed it, deconstruction. So there's a whole lot of people, in other words, that are checking out and saying, I'm done. Christianity's too disappointing or disgusting or disillusioning to me. I'm out. And there's a whole lot of other people that are like, you know what? I'm stripping away some things, but I'm coming full circle and landing more solidly in. So. Let's talk about it. What's deconstruction? And what should we do about it? Big fancy word to describe something I want to make sure we understand before we jump in here. This really does affect all of us. I know some of you are like, oh boy, I'm going to check out or whatever because you don't think, but you know what? I guarantee you this involves all of us. It really does. (laughs) It involves everybody, just, just be, it's not some rare obscure issue that only affects a few you know, people on the fringes, but this is a massive thing happening around us and people you know and yourself, you probably have had some questions. Certain things can provoke this sort of journey of deconstruction, you know? Like maybe you've, maybe you've prayed hard for something or someone and those prayers didn't seem to be answered and maybe for the first time it caused you to really kind of like, wait a second, you were angry or you began to doubt the God that you were praying to. Or you stumbled across some website that was filled with skeptical statements and, or a professor in a class somewhere that just kind of with an easy sweep of the hand just seemed to call into question things that you had never really questioned about faith and it got your head spinning a little bit, or, or maybe you rasped that question, you know, I grew up in the church, but if I hadn't grown up in this family, would I believe any of this? How do I know it's really true? Another thing that triggers a lot of this deconstruction process for people is a bad experience in church. And that's pretty common experience, actually. You know, when, when I was young, the, the preacher in my church growing up The one who preached the sermon on the day I went forward to be baptized was later exposed to have been living a double life for years and was caught up in all kinds of sexual infidelity and that moral failure in his life really rocked a lot of us and maybe you've experienced something like that or it was a toxic church culture or a sort of church that was involved with covering up of of child abuse of some kind or or it was riddled with power or greed or a financial uh, scandal or a narcissistic kind of power-hungry leaders with a celebrity culture around it that you've come to see or, or a legalism or an embedded racism, even in the church sometimes, or or bigotry or misogyny or deeply political things that are just embedded into the church in a partisan way and and... Those are things that can lead to a lot of church hurt over the years. And this affects all of us. And it, if it doesn't affect you personally, it certainly affects people you know and love. And that's why a lot of people are having what you could call a mid-faith crisis. And that's, what, that's how we would define deconstruction. It's a kind of where you're asking questions that kind of have a way of decoupling or dismantling some of your previous beliefs. You're examining. You're sifting. You're saying, wait a second. What's really true and what's not true? What's good and what's not good? What am I going to keep and what am I going to discard? And let's be clear, also, some Christians are very uncomfortable talking about any of this. And, in fact, in certain environments, if you raise a question that seems like it questions anything, you're going to get shamed a little bit or like, oh, you're backsliding or you're, you're kind of uh, you're falling away and you're going to be labeled a doubter and you just learn very quickly we don't entertain real questions around here. And I want to be clear, we're not that kind of place because the Christian faith can stand up to anything, any kind of scrutiny. We don't want a phony little thing that's built up on a house of cards and if anybody asks a question, we're afraid the whole thing's going to topple down if we don't have the right answer. No, no, no. So we welcome those kind of questions, and that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're tackling it today. James Emery White talks about how there are four kind of key categories where a lot of deconstruction tends to happen. It might help us kind of think about our own lives, and maybe someone you love uh, who's wrestling with some of this right now, and help us just get our heads around it. So the four B's that he talks about, four B's, he says, first of all, there's deconstruction that happens in the realm of behaviors. Behaviors is like, you know, lifestyle issues, morals, that kind of thing. And we have to rethink some things sometimes in this area. Say someone close to you comes out as trans or gay, and all of a sudden it causes you to rethink what you think about those issues. Or or you go through a trauma of your own, like a divorce, and it's like you had all these neat answers for divorce before, but now you're like, huh, i got to rethink this, uh, how how I want to say this. So there's all kinds of things under the behaviors category. Second category where we see a lot of deconstruction happen sometimes is belongings. These are the places, the associations and the groups where you identify. Maybe it's a church or a denomination or a certain ministry that you never questioned before. It was home, and then some stuff happens, or you look at it through a different lens, and you wonder after a while, like, are these really my people? Is this, do I really belong here still? Because you or they maybe feel like you might have changed or you already feel the need to distance yourself somehow. Or a third category where deconstruction often happens uh, is in the area of just beliefs where basic Christian doctrine sometimes can be reexamined in my, my theology or your theology where I wanna evaluate what I believe and maybe I change my views or I'm not sure anymore. It's the fourth one that is actually a real trigger for a lot of us, I would say myself included, and that is, I'll use the word bundles. Bundles, you know how when you go get a phone plan, you're like, I want the phone thing right here, and they're like, oh great, this is also bundled in with it, and you're like, I don't want that stuff. And you're like, no, no, yeah, it's bundled. You pay for that whether you want it or not. It's like, I, I want to I get a TV. I want to just watch tennis and football. Can I just get the football and the tennis channel? Oh, no, but look at this thing where you had a bundle for you and it costs a million dollars and has 8,000 channels. I don't want any of that. No, it's bundled. And a lot of people feel like that's how Christianity to, today is. It's like, I just want to follow Jesus. I just want to be a, a faithful Bible-trusting conservative Christian, it's like, oh no, there's a bunch of stuff bundled with that. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, do I, do I really have to get the whole bundle? Like, do I have to agree with you about the earth being 6,000 years old to be a Christian today? Do I have to sort of agree with your position on masking or immigration to be a Christian? Do I got to have the same posture you do about January 6th riots? Do I, do I have to agree with your thoughts on race theory or your version of, can I just get the Jesus channel anywhere? You know, can I just get the Jesus channel? I don't want the bundle. A lot of people are feeling like, you know what, um, what happens sometimes is people are just like tired of the bundle, and then they're walking. So what happens is I say, I don't want that pastor or that politics or that with it, and what I do is I throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I walk away. I'm disappointed in the church, so I kiss Jesus goodbye. Deconstruction, properly understood, is the second of a three-step process, okay? So this has been around for a long time, it's just that lately it's trendy to talk about, so we're talking about it. But it's really been around a long time and it's the second of a three-step process. So for example, We begin with certain things we have in our heads that we have order around. Like we have order in our world or something's good and we understand. Get the slide order up here. Order right there. Boom. There it is. Right now. Order. It's not happening. Okay. There it is. All right. So, but then something happens that sort of reorders or or disorders our world. It's like, oh, now this is a grind and a dissonance in my head. It's like, that doesn't fit with what my orderly world said. And so what do I do? I don't stay here. I reorder reality and I make sense out of things in a new way. And this is part of what every kid does as you grow up. This is where the word construction, we have a constructed sort of worldview, a, a set of understandings, a bunch of stuff we assume uncritically is true. But something happens and upsets that and sets us into, a period of deconstruction where it's like now I got a mess on my hands it's like wow this is a messy place but I'm not meant to stay there I move on to a reconstructed thing If I'm, if, if I have a a cabin that no longer has room for everybody and I need to remodel it so I tear the roof off and pull the walls out and I gut the place because I'm going to make more room and make a better cabin because the old one doesn't work anymore. But I stop after I tear the roof off and the wall's down. Am I really ahead of the game? No, I'm not. I've got to reorder. I've got to reconstruct that thing. There are things in life that we learn early on. And as we grow and mature, we, we, we have to unlearn some of those things based on the reality of the world around us. And then after, go back one slide, learn, un, uh, here we go, we're going to build that up again. Yep. And then relearn, learn, relearn, unlearn, excuse me, and then relearn. This is what happened to Tiger Woods. You know, he came on the scene and he won the Masters, this amazing golfer. He was like amazing set records and everybody's like he was in a crate but you know what he did he said he went to a trainer and he said you know what i need to deconstruct my whole swing i want to rebuild the whole thing because it's not good enough and they unlearned a bunch of stuff and he relearned a new swing and it worked pretty well he won a bunch more tournaments over a long period of time and that's an example of this process so when we talk about our faith the first step is construction Where somewhere along the way, we have behaviors and understandings that we think of as normal. Many of us grew up with it. I was Catholic. I was Lutheran. This is what we taught in my Christian school. Or my family taught this or that. There's a second phase where we begin to question that. Like, wait a second. As we get older, we experience more life. We see things. We read things. We understand things. We begin to evaluate and take a closer look. Do I really believe? Maybe it was a, someone died or an event at a church that we talked about. Or you see just the sickening divide between Christians. You begin to wonder. You see hypocrisy over here. Or you begin to just wonder. And this dissonance or disappointment or, 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 what, or, or disillusionment comes into your mind where you have to deconstruct. I love God, but that church really scares me, maybe you say. If you stop there, you end up with a house with no roof. And that's what a lot of people are doing. Well, I used to be Catholic, I'm nothing now. I used to go to church, I did all the time, but now I just like, oh, I just don't do anything. Throwing out the baby with the bathwater. What we need is that third step, which is reconstruction. Friends, listen, deconstruction doesn't have to mean destruction. We need the third step. So when Tamara, for example, met Michael, she was head over heels, like this was the guy for her. Prince Charming he was going to sweep her off her feet, and he did, and he wooed her, and it was awesome. They just fell headlong together, and they were running. She had some friends that were like, oh, slow down, girl, and uh, you know, waving some yellow flags. She's like, oh, no, it's perfect. Love conquers all, and blah, blah, blah. You know how this story goes. And they got married, and it was great until it wasn't. And then they began to drift apart. Then they began to get a little cool. And they began to separate. And schedules kind of got busy. And he started going to work a whole lot more. And their lives were drifting apart. And then he went on some business trips. And then that girl from work was on the business trips. And they started spending a little more time together. And she heard him come home one day and say, I don't love you anymore. And it was over. And her whole world fell apart. She was devastated. She had built her world around that guy. And then he left, and she was so hurt and so angry. She says, uh, you know what she did deep within herself? She said, I'm never going to let this happen again. And she resolved that she would never, she would protect herself and never let anyone get close to her, and she would never get close. And she also developed a really rabid mistrust toward men in general, and it even affected her relationship with her brother and her dad. And she became a bitter, angry soul. In the pit of her despair, some friends introduced her to Mountain. She came here one time because she was friends with them. She said, I just cried through the whole first service. She soon found herself in a small group of some women. And at first she could hardly stand it because about half of them in the group were married and they didn't hate their husbands. And she was just like, well, she was on a mission to help them see, you know, how (laughs) just you wait. It was kind of her message. And they just kind of patiently loved and waited and loved on her and she began to see what it looked like when someone didn't have their life centered on their husband, but on Christ and his unconditional love and what it, was, what it looked like when, when you could like then live with an imperfect, flawed person and still have a healthy marriage. And all this just chipped away slowly at the wall she'd built around her heart. And eventually, over time, she turned her heart toward Jesus as her first love. She found herself healing and welcoming his unconditional love, and she began to doubt her conclusion that all men were beasts, softened her heart. And then she showed up at Second Saturday Serve because she finally had something left over to give instead of being consumed with her problems. And she met a guy, and they mulched together. (laughs) And then they texted, and then they dated, and you know how this story goes. Eventually, they did get married. There was a lot of baggage each of them had to work through, but they are working it out today in a beautiful relationship of trust and respect and support based on Jesus first and room for another. Now, what happened there? She had constructed a worldview that said that everything hangs on the right man, and she had that constructed firmly, and then it blew apart, got deconstructed overnight, and came up with this new thing in this turmoil that all men are beasts, and that's almost where she got stuck, in a phase of deconstruction, but slowly she unlearned that and reconstructed a changed way of thinking, And that's what we need to do with our faith. Dawn, Dawn grew up in a church where she looks back on it now. She realized it was legalistic and so many rules and no joy, full of judgment and never felt safe. And everybody just faked a sort of appearance and was okay for a while. But then she just said, I've had it. And she left. Plus, she had a child out of wedlock, so they kicked her out. Plus, she was a scientist and they didn't have room for science. And she just said, that's enough. And she went away and never did go back to God until someone invited her here to watch a baptism right over there. And she got in here and for the first time she heard something from a friend about grace. She grew up in the church, she didn't know anything about grace. She didn't know the real Jesus at all. And it slowly drew her into a version of Christianity she didn't know anything about. It was a far cry from the Jesus she thought was real but wasn't and discovered she didn't really want to get rid of the church capital C she just needed to get away from that church and today she walks with Jesus more closely than ever if i stop at deconstruction i never i never i never really put anything back in its place, am I really ahead of the game? It can be great when you get that and you feel so free and liberated, like I don't have those shackles, I'm in my new cabin and I have an open sky to the roof, I mean to the sky, you know. It feels great until it rains. And then you wish you had something. That's what's happening to a lot of people right now. The fastest-growing religious groups are nuns and duns like I used to be in the church, but I'm done with it. And it feels wonderful and free. But then when you have no place to go spiritually, it's kind of a lonely and bad, dark place. So is deconstruction a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great question. Well, it depends. (laughs) Deconstruction can be, and I want to make sure you catch this, deconstruction can be a good thing. Because it's part of growth. It's part of maturing. It's part of developing. This is my little, this is my nephew, his kid, Gabe. Uh, This is Gabe. Gabe Kacharis is two now. He was 20 inches long when he was born, but now he's two and a half feet tall. And he's a rock star. But if he continues the same rate of growth he's had over these first two years, by the time this kid is 10 years old, he'll be six foot, eight inches tall. But he's like a cherished, so we know that isn't going to happen. <laughs> but here's the thing. We're not amazed by that growth. We expect it. It would be a tragedy and a, and a real sad thing if this kid never grew past 20 inches or past two and a half feet, wouldn't it? We expect growth. And yet, when, when we get to be adults, sometimes we kind of stop expecting ourselves to grow, to have any new thoughts, new ideas, and to expand our thinking, don't we? We sometimes, and and it's a shame, it would be just as much of a shame as if this kid never got higher than two and a half feet. And deconstruction is, in many ways, a part and parcel of growing. And it's also right at the center of the Christian faith where we realize some things I've cherished, if they're not of God and not in the scripture and not really part of who Jesus is, I need to let go of them instead of making them the main thing. There was a guy named Saul. The New Testament tells about him. He was a dyed-in-the-wool Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader, an expert in the law, knew everything about the religion of that day, and he was zealous to protect it, and he thought he was working for God when he saw this new upstart Jesus movement gaining ground and pulling people out of the Jewish faith to go follow this Jesus guy, and he's like, well, this isn't any good. I've got to help God out here and get rid of this dangerous cult of heretics, this, what are they called, Christians? i got to stamp them out, and so he started killing them all. He's there when Stephen is stoned. And uh, he's like, I'm going to head up to Damascus and kill a bunch more. And Acts chapter 9 tells the story. He's going up to Damascus with one thing on his mind. God, don't worry. I got this under control. I'm going to go kill a bunch of Christians and we'll get back on track for you. And that's when God knocks him off his horse as if God's saying, I want this guy on my team. Because he's got something in his head that needs to be deconstructed. He knocks him down he says, "Um, Saul. Why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? What are you talking about? I'm not doing anything against you. I'm just killing Christians. And he's like, uh Wait a second. You're on their side? Uh-oh. Jesus is real? And it begins this deconstruction like we. He has to start figuring out, wait a second. Everything he's held dear is maybe in suspect and he didn't need to stop following God. He needed to figure out what God was calling him to do. And he eventually, all that stuff, he let it go in order to pursue Christ. And later, when he runs into some Christians who are now bundling together all this Jewish stuff into the faith, saying, oh, you can be a Christian, but you've got to be kind of Jewish, too. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he says. He's talking to them. Whatever happens, he's, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things. Why? His interest is to safeguard your faith. Sometimes you've got to let go of things, not to lose your faith, but to safeguard it. Sometimes we get extra stuff that takes us away from Christ. He says, in verse 5 and 6, he says, man, I was... I had constructed, if, if anyone was in on the old system, it was me. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Man, I was a pure blooded citizen of Israel. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. It's a good tribe. A, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. I demanded the strict obedience of the law. I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church for righteousness. I obeyed the law without fault. I went to church every week. I was an acolyte. I, did, I lit the candles. I was there. I did the whole thing. I was in deep. He says in verse seven, I once thought of these things as valuable. But now I've deconstructed some things thanks to God. And I consider those things that were I thought were right of the fabric of the faith. Now I consider all that extra stuff worthless because of what Christ has done. And verse 8 he says, yes, everything else that you think is so darn important is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have, what's the word? He discarded those things counting it all as garbage. Why? So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And that's what he says in verse 10. I just, now at this point, I just want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I don't want all the religious tradition. I don't want all that stuff that bogs us down, and that's what everyone's mad about anyway. I just want Jesus. No one's really mad about Jesus. Sometimes deconstruction, if it helps you get rid of some of that, Extra stuff, whether it's legalism or politics or whatever it is, is a good thing. Sometimes our God is too small. We've got a little imaginary God built up around what we were told or what we thought, and it's just too small. It's not the God of the Bible. I get somebody one time, he's complaining to me about, I don't know how you're a pastor. I can't believe in God at all. You know, God's so mean. God's so judgmental. God's so this and that. And he's like, I was like, oh, well, tell me more about this God you don't. I don't believe in him either, but I want to know more. He's like, what, you don't believe in God? He says, no, I don't believe in your God. And some of us, our God is too small. There's a deconstruction that has to happen or you'll never grow. That's one of the problems with the church today is we've got a bunch of Christians who are worshiping a God that doesn't even exist. And then they get mad at that God and they walk away from him. It's like, well, we've got to deconstruct and grow. The church has to keep getting better. We've got to keep reforming and reshaping ourselves based on God's leadership. How does that happen? Well, you challenge some things and think, I don't think this, I don't think this really belongs anymore. We're going to hold on to what's true and get rid of what is extra. So you can think of healthy deconstruction as like decluttering your closet. (laughs) You know, some of you need to do that when you go home. Declutter your closet, right? Get rid of the extra stuff. It's like a person said it this way I'm grateful for the church that that led me to the Lord and, and brought me to faith in Jesus, but now I'm decluttering some of the extra junk and stuff I picked up along the way. I'm not throwing out, I'm not, I'm not tearing down the house. I'm just decluttering the closet. So deconstruction doesn't need to be destructive. It can be a key to growth and reform and reshaping that is God-led, and it's the key to revival and renewal. But deconstruction can be a bad thing. We need to be honest about this, too. There's some yellow flags here. Again, remember we said if I stop at deconstruction and I never get to the reconstruction, I never put anything worthwhile back in its place, that's a project that... It's not helpful. I'm just left with sort of emptiness if I reject everything. It also can be a slippery slope toward the loss of faith. Some are concerned that what is called deconstruction is really just a fancy word for moving away from biblical teaching where I just kind of If I'm doing a deconstruction that really isn't led by God's Spirit and isn't really seeking truth, I'm really just sort of wanting to do whatever I want to do, and I'm labeling it deconstruction because I'm getting rid of the parts of the faith that aren't popular or isn't palatable to modern society, and I just sort of get rid of those parts. That's not deconstruction. That's just being dishonest and unfaithful. I used to hang out with a guy named Bart Campolo, Some of you know his dad, Tony Campolo. He was a pastor in Minneapolis, and we did youth ministry together when I was a youth pastor there back in the day. But he got himself onto this slippery slope that he couldn't get off. In his own words, he said, you start adjusting your theology to match up to the world you see around you, and it's a progression that never stops. Eventually, he couldn't really believe in anything. Sovereignty of God, the authority of Scripture, even Jesus himself and his resurrection And he kind of just left it all. Now remember, just because someone is deconstructing, it doesn't mean they're always stepping away from the Bible. Sometimes, I mean, taking the Bible more seriously will lead you to deconstruct some things. But it can mean I'm just really kind of leaving the Bible behind, doing what I want to do. Maybe there's something in my new modern enlightened viewpoint that I don't agree with in the Bible anymore. Instead of submitting and obeying Jesus anyway, I just like deconstruct that part. Well, that's a dangerous thing, and Jesus wants to be our Lord, even if your enlightened social view doesn't fit into it. There's a hard side to this. So, Are you following what I'm saying here? If what you're deconstructing is sort of extra, some legalism or religious abuse or toxic culture, that's great. You know, those are flaws that happen in Christianity in the church, and 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 you know those those failures are, are are real, and you need to deconstruct from those things. You hate them, God hates them, but also don't forget, they don't have anything to do with God. They're they're not Jesus' fault. We're upset with people who fail, but that's not Jesus. It's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The church, capital C, is going to prevail. And it's beautiful, and Jesus calls it his bride. So you can get frustrated with a local church or somebody or a pastor, but don't forget, the church is still Jesus' bride. And he says it's pure and beautiful, and it's going to bring the whole thing home. So we're not going to throw out the church. You might get mad at a church, you might get mad at a pastor church is the bride of Christ, and you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. So you can get angry at the church, but not a church, but not the church. A pastor, but not all pastors. That's just bad logic. Same mistake Tamara made with her view on men. So don't make a universalizing mistake. God's bigger than all of that. And we've got to be smart enough to realize there's a version of what's called deconstructing that really isn't that helpful isn't seeking truth. It's just sort of wanting to do what I want to do. So what should we do? What should we do about all this? Well, first of all, let's... Be honest and realize it is what it is. This is happening, so we're not going to panic. We're not going to deny it. We're not going to be freaked out or shame someone when they begin to ask questions and just ask, how can this be used for God's glory? How can this be used to better the church and to better my own life? People of faith, it means that we're going to cling to the core truths of who Jesus is tighter than ever and not let go. It means that we're we're gonna hold on to Jesus and not the politics and the culture and the methods and the temporary stuff, but cling to the essential core truths of our faith more tightly than ever and then hold the rest loosely. Christians are famous for reversing that. We hold on to the traditions and the things that aren't even scriptural. And Jesus, we just like, oh, we let him slip through our fingers. We're gonna do the opposite. What do we do? Well, I would say to people who've been hurt by the church, and I know that's real. Maybe some of you have every good reason to be angry or hurt, disillusioned by some kind of church experience or pastor or what have you, you might have a right to. Maybe some harmful theology or incorrect things that you've come to. Let me just say to you with compassion but firmness, you can't hold on to that forever. You can't make a life being angry at something something or someone you got to move on at some point. you got to reconstruct something real. He who fights too long against dragons becomes one. Right? Be careful that you don't become the very thing you're fighting against just as intolerant and angry and mean and dangerous and unhealthy as whatever church you're mad at. What are we going to do about this? Well, for Christ followers and those of us in the faith, number one, we're going to make room for hard questions, okay? We're just going to, we're going to say it's safe to ask questions, it's safe to wrestle with doubts, like Nicodemus who came to Jesus late at night so no one would know, but he could ask his questions and Jesus helped him deconstruct his faith. Like Nicodemus, you've got to be born all over again, dude, let me tell you, you've got to start over. And any sincere seeker like that or a critic or even a skeptic, you're welcome here. We're never going to be the place where we just say, well, those kinds of questions are too dangerous and risky. No. We don't want to end up with some shallow version of Christianity that's propped up on some hope that no one asks a question we don't know how to answer. The Christian faith can stand up to any scrutiny anyone can bring to it. If it's not real enough to stand up to that, it's not real enough to put your life on. So, don't worry about that. There's a new generation of Christians that's craving safe, non judgmental spaces to ask hard questions. And when you listen and wrestle through that, you can land on the other side with a, a robust faith. But when you say stop asking questions, it doesn't work so well. The internet is littered with blogs of ex Christians who never had a place where they could talk safely about their questions. I love Joseph Stobert's quote. Better to debate a question, even if you don't settle it, than to settle a question without debating it. We make room for questions. And this is for everyone. So if you're far from God, you're not a believer, you're welcome in this church. You hang around. Let's be part of the conversation. If you're a believer and you've got some questions, you're wrestling with doubt, you're welcome here too. Because all of us, I suppose, at some level are like that man who came to Jesus one day in Mark 9 who says, I do believe, but could you help me with my unbelief? I've got some questions. I'm trying here, but there's some messy extras. Can you help me? And Jesus is like, oh, of course I can. Asking questions doesn't have to mean, you know, we're deconst- destroying it. It can mean a reconstructed thing, and questioning your theology or your upbringing is not the same as questioning Jesus. All right, a couple of sample questions, by the way. If you have high school kids or adult kids or young adult kids, this is particularly good there to ask questions like these. Here's a couple of conversation starters. First, you could just ask your your young friend, "Well." or anyone of any age, what, what do you think I believe that you no longer believe? Talk about that. Talk about that, and then maybe this one too. Hey, what do you believe that you don't think I believe? There's a conversation. It's probably better than shouting each other down. Number two, what are we going to do? We're, we're, we're going to do our best to just really follow Jesus in an authentic way. Like, follow Jesus and be real because the biggest problem is not Jesus. It's hypocrisy. It's Christians who kind of give a person an excuse to say, well, see, I don't want to be like that. And then they walk away. So, uh, you know, Gandhi is the one who said, I like your Christ, but I do not like Christians. Christians are just not very much like Christ. And so, uh, you know, James 3 reminds us, you know, if you want to be wise and understand God's ways, okay, great. Prove it by living an honorable life. Like, let's just be the real deal. We're not going to be perfect, but let's not pretend we are and realize that we're a hospital for sinners and just be real. And that's authentic and that is attractive. And third, in an environment where many are taking sides on these big issues and shouting each other down in unkind ways, we're going to be different. We're going to be kind and humble. Be kind and be humble. Humble is instead of I'm right and you're wrong, we learn to get better at saying I passionately believe this and here's why. Tell me what you believe and why. And we talk about it and we learn to let ideas surface and let the best ideas win. I'm telling you, there's no better idea than Jesus Christ and the life he calls us to. But you never get there if all you're doing is yelling at each other. And humility allows us to say, I don't see things perfectly. I'm not God. I can't be right about everything. So keep the conversation going and be, you can disagree. just don't have to be so disagreeable. And finally and most importantly, we always keep the focus on Jesus. Keep it on Jesus. And if someone says, I got this baggage on my church, you know, I don't like the church tradition. I look at Christianity today. I don't like the political messaging. I don't like the outdated methods. I got, there's abuse over the legalism. I know this one Christian who did such and so, blah, 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 you know, but in the end, man, I just found myself clinging to Jesus and I just want to find a community of people where that's all they care about. Friends, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So we keep the focus on Jesus and we want to be that kind of safe place right here. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, when I first came to you, he was trying to persuade them. He says, but I didn't use lofty words. He was an educated guy. He could have impressed them with lofty words or impressive wisdom. He didn't do any of that. What did he do? He says, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything else. What? Except Jesus Christ. What if that was true of you and me? What if that was true of our church? Like, let's just not get bogged down on the extra stuff. Let me tell you why else we need to keep the focus on Jesus because people who are discarding him and throwing the baby out with the bathwater, eventually, I think they miss him a lot. And they're lonely without him because there's nothing as beautiful and true and as good as Jesus. They're just trying to, they're gonna go try to find and invent some other savior that's as good and beautiful and true as Jesus. And so we're just gonna, we're gonna keep the focus on Jesus so they know where to find him. You know, at the end, end of the day, it's like to focus on Jesus is all we got. You know, you know, John chapter 6. Jesus is teaching, and he teaches some really hard things one day, like some of the hard stuff. That like, and, and some people were just like, whoa, this guy's, I don't know. I, don't, I, I thought this was going to be fun and easy in all games and giveaways. I'm, I'm done with this. And they walk away. Jesus is out there teaching. There's a big crowd, and a bunch of people start walking away. And there's the disciples who said they were going to follow him. And they're standing there looking at Jesus, listening to all this hard stuff. And they're looking at their friends and their neighbors and their family, walking away, looking at Jesus, looking at them. And they're stuck right between where some of us might feel. Jesus looks right at him and he says, how about you? You want to leave too? Ken, you want to leave? <laughs> and I think it was Peter who said, where else would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And, and, and friends, there are hard things that come with Christian faith. There are troubling things. There's bad things about church and people in the church and all of that. And it's leading a lot of people just to leave. Okay. You can go too if you want. But at the end of the day, it's like, where, where else are you going to go Exactly. You gonna go tear the roof off the house and sit under the stars? At the end of the day, Jesus has the words of eternal life. And every one of us will lock eyes with him at some point. And what a beautiful thing when you're able to do it in a way that's like I got questions, I got messy, I got loose ends to my faith, but I know one thing, I got Jesus. And he's not going anywhere. Construct your life on that. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'll just help us to to understand how it is to mature and to grow where we could, with a godly sense, discard the stuff that needs to be discarded, but cling (laughs) with tenacity to that which must never be discarded, to the Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Help us to keep our church, our life, our families centered on Jesus Christ. For his name and his sake we pray in Jesus' name, amen.